And now, the starting lineup for Inside Slam. At guard, number 11, from the University of Iowa, standing 4 feet 26 inches, it's the man with the smoothest voice in the commentary box, Mr. Magic, Steve Confino. And at small forward, number 6, standing, well, sometimes because he prefers to sit, Mr. Stats himself, Evan Goldback. This is Inside Slam. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Slam from Self ISO here in Sydney. I'm Evan Goldback, joined once again by Steve Carfino and episodes three and four. What the hell was that? That was my cat running around in the background. Oh, scared the shit out of me. That was pretty funny. Um, yes, episodes three and four of The Last Dance was last night here in Australia. And uh, yeah, I just, I literally can't, cannot stop, um, you know, watching it. It's, it's incredible TV. Steve, um, obviously, let's just get straight into it because obviously this, these episodes were really about, one, the Detroit Pistons and the Bulls getting through those guys, two, Dennis Rodman, and three, Phil Jackson. So we're starting to, it's, I, I really like how they're going. They're, they're going from 1998 all the way back to, when Dennis Robin was drafted and, you know, taking us through his story and how, how he became part of the Pistons and then how the Pistons were so difficult to beat. But it seems to me that, um, yeah, not many people liked the Pistons during the 80s. <laughs> no. But, you know, the league hated them, you know, because they played a brand of basketball that wasn't very entertaining. You know, like maybe Detroit liked it because that's, a, you know, working class uh, city and and um, you know don't mess with the with the Pistons don't mess with Detroit it's a tough town uh, working class town so they took pride in their team of course but you know really the NBA wasn't real fond of that team and the way they played and and you know they made some rule changes because of that team yeah. and it's not an entertaining brand of basketball so they were despised and you know like it's interesting to see Michael Jordan say that, you know, and I hated those guys, you know, then and now, <laughs> you know, he's still. What do you mean? Uh, they still hate each other. You can see Horace Graham is like, I hate those guys. Like there is a, a deep-seated hatred um, between those two teams. You see Bill Lambeer now, and he just doesn't give Jordan any credit. I mean, these guys hate each other, but I kind of like that because you don't see that today. You know, I mean, yes, um, the thing about it is that, yes, they hated each other. But what I really took away is that Jordan, after they lost, imagine losing game seven. You're trying to get over the hump. You lose game seven. He goes and shakes hands with every single Detroit Pistons, man, shows that respect. And then the next year, the Pistons go out with a sweep and then they walk off the court. So, and Jordan, you can see Jordan, he's still not happy about that. Yeah. I mean, he despises the Pistons. And, you know, like he said, and that was what was, uh, that's what I love about these documentaries. You hear these stories and then you get to see exactly how Michael Jordan and why Michael Jordan resents Isaiah Thomas. You know, the, the reason why he wasn't on that dream team, it was because Michael Jordan's like, you, no, there's no chance that he gets to play on this team. You know, and he carried a lot of clout. He was the coach of the dream team. Isaiah's coach. What's that? Mark Daly, coach of the Pistons, coached the dream team. So imagine yeah. how much sway Jordan had to. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, they just. I think it was Jordan. I think it was Jordan and and uh, and Magic didn't want him on the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Magic was really good friends with Isaiah. You know, they used to do that little kiss at half court. You know, they were really good friends. So Michael Jordan was like, no way. But I mean, to see him describe and still have that passion of why it was so wrong and for him to still feel that strongly. I mean, the man is, you know, 55, 56, 57. I'm not sure how old he is. He's in his mid fifties. I know that for him to still feel that passionate about how he felt Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons disrespected the Bulls after, like you said, when he held the sportsmanship, he was the bigger man afterward. He was like, no one was more disappointed than I was losing to these guys two game, two game, game sevens in a row, or maybe a game five and then a game seven. You know, you know, for, for them to to walk away and not give him that, you know, congratulations, you guys made it. And then for him to say, you know, like there's nothing that he can say to justify, you know, those actions back then. Um, I was the bigger man, had the sportsmanship, had the class, and congratulated them and wished them luck. That's all you can do. And so that's why he's special, though. Yeah. The team, if you look at the teams, especially back then, and, and this is where I'm going to need your help a little bit, but the East just seemed like you needed to be so hard to get through the East. You had Boston, you had Detroit. You had the up-and-coming Bulls, and then kind of forgotten about, but they're a really good team. I didn't know how good the Cavs were. Oh, yeah. You know, the the Knicks, these were no easy beats, man. The Pacers, (laughs) there were some rough teams you had to get past, and it was a physical brand of basketball in the East. I get that. And how about, you know, um, you know, it's like I could spend all day on any of these topics, but how about when Will Perdue said that, you know, you, you see Michael Jordan, he'll do anything to win. Um, you know, we wondered at times if he was human, if he actually had a heart and to see him cry like a baby after winning the championship. We didn't, we never saw that side of him. It was really emotional for all these guys to see this guy who was bulletproof, you know, break down and cry and see how much that championship meant to him. I mean, those are special moments that you have I mean, what this documentary has exposed is these are special moments that you have when Will Perdue comes to your house for dinner. You know, you don't get to see it on Netflix. And that's what we're privy to. That's what I love so much. Oh, absolutely. And what I'm taking away from this is that you could not have scripted a better story in terms of Jordan's career. Like, and what obviously, you know, he had the trajectory and obviously I love how that, you know, we went into the change of coach into Doug Collins and it was like, listen, get Mike the ball. And then how that kind of got him into the Eastern Conference finals, but he still lost a game seven against the Pistons. And then obviously he progressed even further, but, you know, by working out his body and then obviously getting getting Phil Jackson, the coach, it just seemed like there's these little steps along the way, obviously the shot against Cleveland which made Jordan clutch, which made Chicago not a losing franchise. And there's all these little steps along the way that obviously we can look at it 30 years in the future going, oh, yeah, Jordan had a great career. But there's, if he didn't hit the shot against the Cavs, you know, does that play on his psyche moving forward? Or Chicago's, do they maybe try and retool in other ways, but they get past and like, okay, we're up against a really good Pistons team. 
we can get over the hump. You know, obviously Horace Grant and and Scotty Pippen are two two years further advanced than what they were the first time they played the Pistons. They add Bill Cartwright, great piece. Obviously, they didn't really talk about that too much, but all these little steps that along the way the Bulls did to help Jordan, and obviously Jordan did obviously himself by hitting those shots. You can't kind of scripted this better, and we're seeing it played out in a beautiful documentary. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're seeing all these things. It's kind of like sliding doors, isn't it? You know, like they go with this move that, I mean, they get rid of Doug Collins after after they take him to the Eastern Finals, you know, like they're one game away from going to the NBA Finals, you know, so they get easy thing. Yeah, you know, like that that's a that's a ballsy move, you know, and everybody's criticized Jerry Krause for so long about so many things. You know, what this is pointing out is how many great moves he made. And they're ballsy moves, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, super ballsy. You know, so and, and then going for Rodman. Rodman is like the hardest guy to handle in the entire league. And they go for him and they say, look, we believe that. And Phil Jackson, when I read his book, Hardcore, you know, I think, you know, Lessons from a Hardcore Warrior. Um, and he said, look, my belief is that no one wants to be mediocre. No one wants to not reach their full potential. You just have to show them how to tap into it. And the best way to do that is to let them be an individual like he, you know, that showed in the documentary, as well as surround him by people that know what it takes to win. Everyone wants to win. You know, you just kind of have to show them a path. And it just really showed. And and then, you know, like I know we're bouncing around because there's so many things that we could talk about. But how about how Rodman felt when his teammates understood that he needed to go to Vegas. He needed a vacation in the middle of the season and then came back. Everybody thought he had to get into shape and he's in better shape than everyone else. You know, trying to chase him. It took him four minutes to catch him, you know. It's incredible. And uh, let's let's get into Broadman because I think he's probably one of the most misunderstood guys ever. Um, he is, obviously, I think he's got a bit of a... Um, uh, you know, he's got a very unique psyche to everyone else. Uh, you know, he had a tough upbringing. You know, he lived on a street for a couple of years, found his way in basketball. And um, it's it's like he's needed the right mentors along the way. Yeah. In, in Detroit, he found Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly understood him perfectly. Right? Mm-hmm. That when he said, listen, he had that beautiful quote, don't, you don't put a saddle on a, star, um, on a, on a Mustang. Yeah. Don't put a stat on a Mustang. Like let let Rodman be Rodman, and he terrorized Scottie Pippen in those early uh, in those conference finals. Like, and then obviously you see him going up against Magic. This guy, I mean, he's probably one of the greatest defenders of all time, if not the best defender. And I read an interesting stat today that he won the he got eight time defensive um, first team, obviously two times defensive player of the year. The highest steals that he ever got in a year, he averaged 0.8 and 0.8 blocks. Because obviously we are about stats these days and you've got Rudy Gobert winning defensive player of the year, he's averaging three blocks and all that sort of stuff. You're winning defensive player of the year and you're not even averaging a steal and a block a game. That just shows you what the guy does. Yeah. Oh, you know, like how about those stats? You know, now that this documentary is out, every time they showcase somebody on the show, we start seeing some of their stats in social media. And how about those games where he has zero points and 27 rebounds? 
you know, so he's getting a rebound. He's kicking it to his teammates. He's not even trying to score after he grabs a rebound. 27 rebounds at six foot eight and 220 pounds or, you know, 100 kilos. Insane. What, what about when he's, uh, what about he's like, he had used to have people shoot different shots from around, you know, the rim to see how, how they would bounce. And he goes, oh, yeah. Uh, so Magic used to shoot with a lot of spin or Bird used to, I can't remember which one was shooting with a lot of spin. So it would normally do this. I'd put myself in this position. Like the guy was a basketball genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's what Michael said. And that's what surprised me was how much admiration he had for Dennis Rodman, you know, and even even Scottie Pippen, you know, where it shows a lot of things that he didn't handle very well. And it still shows how much respect and how much love he had for a franchise who really did the wrong thing by him as far as not giving him, you know, an extension or, you know, like re- redoing his contract, you know, after he locked it in and then becomes like the second best player in the league. But, you know, now I'm sure as, an, as, a, as a man, um, as a mature man and a father and all these things, you know, he looks at that experience differently. You know, he's still rich, you know, whether he's the richest guy in the NBA at his age, you know, after he retired, you know, is something else. Obviously, he's still successful. He's got a great career in broadcasting now yeah. and a magnificent voice, by the way. I mean, his voice is just wonderful. Man, he's he's almost like a, a younger version of Morgan Freeman. I feel like he should be the you know should be voicing, he should be voicing documentaries. You know how you see different people do voice uh, voiceover stuff. I mean that guy, it's like this rumbling gravel. And man, that guy has Scotty Pippen has aged really well. Michael Jordan has not. <laughs> Let's just see oh, yeah. I know Michael Jordan's eyes are bloodshot. He's all bloated. Scotty Pippen, he, he needs to just recolor his hair because you can see the gray creeping in at the bottom. But other than that, his skin looks fantastic. His eyes are crystal clear. He looks really good. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, one of the uh, one of the the many things that I was just fascinated by and rewinding so I could hear it again. Um, just were, you know, moments in that, you know, you're talking about, you know, these special moments that, you know, if it happened a different way, we'd be talking about a different story. Michael Jordan missing that shot. But, you know, Michael Jordan missed a free throw. That was key, you know, when they lose a series. Um, down the stretch, you know, we always think of, you know, how these guys, and he hit that shot, so therefore he became this. But he had plenty of misses. I mean, they lose twice to the Detroit Pistons, and then – it makes them more resilient. So maybe if they win that one and they scrape by and Jordan has a 60-point game or something like that, they don't become the team that the Chicago Bulls were. So, um, you know, it's really – it has. I would agree with you. It's, it's played out perfectly. It's played out like it's been scripted. You go through this adversity and it makes you stronger as a team. Um, you build these resilient guys. And how about when Dennis Rodman just shoves Dennis oh. Um, Scotty Pippen out and he sits there and he has that look on his face like yeah I would have reacted like this a year or two ago um, we're kicking their butt let me get my composure he sits there for a second he stares and then all of a sudden his teammates help him up and that's when John Sally said oh god I love this documentary John Sally says we knew we were in trouble then when Scotty Pippen just got up like it was business as usual, went up there, stuck his free throws, and that was it. They were done. And they get swept 
swept by the Bulls after just being, being their nemesis for yeah. the last three years. They get swept by them. Yeah. It's, it's just really interesting to go into the psyche of players in that time. Like that John, I love that John Sally thing because he would have only admitted that to a handful of people in his whole life. And now we're seeing that on Netflix. Because obviously, the, and the, Netflix is, and ESPN have done a great job, obviously, asking the right questions. You know, how did you feel at this time? How did you feel? Um, and then obviously showing other people's, hey, this is their reaction to the same question type thing. And going, I mean, just going, even going back to Rodman, let's, let's talk about the Vegas thing, because that would never, ever happen today, especially in today's social media world. Yeah. Phil Jackson is a genius. Um, and he just was like, I mean, he, he, he has, you can tell they have a really special bond. Yeah. Uh, see, Phil is, is uh, you know, he goes against the grain on a lot of things. You know, obviously he's, he's quite out there in his, in his philosophies. Um, you know, he's obviously that guy they mentioned, he's like, a bit like a hippie. But obviously he and, uh, him and Dennis had this real kindred spirit relationship. And he just recognized it as in, yeah, Dennis is, Dennis is going to be there on the court. We need to be there for him off the court and allow Dennis to be Dennis. And that situation, and Jordan is like, vacation? I need a fucking vacation. He <laughs> was like, listen, 48. Anyway, it's, obviously he goes 48 hours approved and he doesn't come back on time, which is, which, which is probably what they expected. And then just those little stories like Carmen Electra being in bed with Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan is at the door. Like, it's just... <laughs> Crazy stuff. I know Michael Jordan has what six security guys that are around him constantly, yeah. and he doesn't—he doesn't send—he doesn't, send, doesn't send one of his security security guards to get him. He, he personally goes to get Dennis out of bed to make sure he comes, and we got a championship to win. You got your forty-eight hours now. Now it's time to go to work, and so. Yeah. And then, you know how he feels about the line sprints. He's like, I don't want to do those line sprints. He's just getting Dennis in shape. You know, I don't want to do them. <laughs> so I tell Steve Kerr and, and Judd Bushler, you know, slow down. You know, like we, we get, we're privy to, you know, to, it's like being on the team. That's what this documentary is like. It's like we're on the team. We're in this special place in history that only a handful of people know we have been, we have been granted access to what it is like to be right involved with one of the greatest sporting teams at the greatest moment of their careers in sport in history. I, I, I just don't, I don't think people understand. I know everybody's talking about this documentary, yeah. but I don't think that people understand the magnitude of what, what we've been granted. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and the reason why I think it's even more phenomenal is that you see now, all players now, they have social media. So they're posting, they're on the plane, you know, they're posting, they're on their Snapchats or Instagram stories, what we're seeing now. So we never saw this. We never saw Bill Wennington holding a, a camera on the plane and Jordan and Scott Burrell having a conversation like that. We just weren't granted access. Social media wasn't there at that time. So it's that's why I think it's even more fascinating because we didn't have access to that. If the documentary came out today about today's league, we'd be like, I've, I've kind of 
I see so much of the players anyway, but we didn't back then. We saw one game a week. You know, you're reading the papers. There's no video access. And it's just like you're seeing this beautiful, uh, you know, it's almost theatre play out in front of your eyes. Yeah. I mean, I feel maybe I haven't read every book. Um, You know, I prefer movies instead of reading. But anyway, um, I've read almost every book about Michael Jordan or Phil Jackson. Um, I've watched every documentary when it comes to the Bulls. Um, I've seen every... Yeah, I've got that one too. I, I've I've seen every highlight, you know, like top 10 dunks of Michael Jordan, um, greatest moments of Michael Jordan. I remember my son, you know, years ago, just kind of made like a flippant remark about, oh yeah, you know, dad, like LeBron James is the greatest player that's, you know, ever lived. And I was like, wait, hold on, you know? Pump, pump the brakes. I tell you what, I'm going to put these... Michael Jordan's, you know, greatest moments. You sit down, watch YouTube, you know, here's sit down for 35 minutes and watch this. And then tell me if you think LeBron James is hands down the best player that's ever played. Yeah. And so two minutes in, he's like, oh, my God. And so I'm like, OK, you just can't say that play. You got to look at, you know, then I showed him. I showed him. I showed him. Allen Iverson. You know, I'm not a big Allen Iverson fan, but he's amazing too. I show him Allen Iverson. I show him Larry Bird. I show him Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I show him Dr. J. And so I was like, here you go, young fella. You know, before you start making comments like that, LeBron James has got to get past Kobe Bryant first before we start talking about LeBron being the greatest player ever. And that's just recency bias because – you know, um, I was at my buddy uh, Phil's place on the weekend and uh, he's a huge baller, you know, great player as well. And we just sat, we sat down and we watched, uh, we watched game six, 1998 uh, Bulls Jazz. We watched, um, uh, we watched the Bulls against the Suns in 94. And I know that, I know the NBA is, is more athletic these days and these guys are great defenders these days, but man, the it was it was just different. Like you, like the the the, the it was a lot more contact back then. You could like these guys in the post. You have Karl Malone and Dennis Rodman, like literally having a wrestling match in the post, and not one foul being called. Like they're there for like two, two or three seconds trying to get position. You never see that now. Yeah, I mean, how how about the fact that when Rodman shoves Scottie Pippen out of bounds, he lands in the bleachers. That's that a- and he, gets to, he gets to keep playing. You know, that's not just a flagrant foul. You're suspended for like a week. 100%. <laughs> this it's completely different. And thank goodness, you know, nobody wants to see that type of play. We want to see these great athletes play without the fear of injury. We want their mind to be clear when they get into the lane and make these fantastic shots. It's, it's uh, super um, exciting to watch. The game today is exciting to watch, and these guys are super skilled. But it – you know, it's like anything, you know, you watch the old NFL and um, you watch, you know, Major League Baseball and, and you know, the, I, I love the, the tradition and the history of all these sports. So, you know, I, I know the game is involved. There's no such thing as a step back jumper. There's no such thing as, you know, ta- a team taking 40 threes in a game, a team taking way more threes than twos, the mathematical equation of, a lower percentage, you know, 40% of threes is better than 
50% of your twos. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I know the game has evolved and, and, you know, it's always fun to see the changes of the game, but also this documentary has just embedded my, my love of the game's history. Can you imagine, uh, and I kind of want to, um, couple of little kind of quick things to finish up. Uh, when you think about the best defenders of all time, who do you who do you think about? I think about Michael Cooper because I've actually played against Michael Cooper. Okay, got seven foot arms and a six six body, you know. So <laughs> I think of him, Larry Bird, one of the greatest players of all time. Um, he he touted Michael Cooper as the best defender in the NBA at the time. Um, so I think about him, you know, I think about, um, remember Tayshaun Prince, he was similar, you know, when he, he shut Kobe Bryant down one playoff series against when he was playing for Detroit. Yeah, um, I think of Dennis Rodman. I would say that, um, you're talking about, uh, a guy who is six foot eight runs, never runs out of energy, strong, uh, guarding multiple positions. I would have to say that, um, you would get you wouldn't get much of an argument about Dennis Rodman to players in the past and players in the future right now. Yeah, I mean when I when I think about because I was I was like, should we come up with the top five defenders of all time? And I think it's really difficult to do because in different eras you have to defend in different ways. So it's very hard to compare. So I'm looking at okay, who's who's someone that can defend multiple positions, who was really good at shutting down the best player? And in no particular order, um, obviously, you know, I was too young to see Michael Cooper play, but, um, you know, I think of Dennis Rodman. I think of Hakeem Olajuwon. I think of Tony Allen. I think of Bruce Bowen. And I think of Tayshaun Prince. Um, and people say, Pat, I've, I spoke to a few people and they're like, oh, Patrick Beverly. I mean, Patrick Beverly is a pest, but he's not on the level of Dennis Rodman. He's nowhere near as athletic as Dennis Rodman. I mean, this, Dennis Rodman was defending Shaq. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dennis Rodman's guarding Shaq, and he's guarding Carl Malone single coverage. They're not even sending a double down. I forgot how big Carl Malone was. The guy oh, was. Chuck. He's like this. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, let me uh, try and put mine together. Yeah. I would say. Um, you probably left out because he's before my time as well, but I'm just going to go on just highlights and how he impacted the game. Bill, Bill, Russell. Bill Russell. Yeah. Yeah. So we go Bill Russell. We go um, Dennis Rodman. Um, we go Michael Cooper and we go. Hmm. Let me just go. You know, I like Scottie Pippen. Yeah. I like Scottie Pippen in my fifth, in fifth place, because I've got that order. That's my order. Who did I go first? I went Bill Russell, yeah. Dennis Rodman, Michael uh, Cooper, Michael Cooper, uh, Scottie Pippen. You see how he defended Magic? Completely turned the series around. Okay. And then five is Muggsy Bogues. What? Muggsy Bogues. Um, Oh, five foot three. I watched a game once. I had to. I had to get up. I was like, I, oh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay, Muggsy Bugs. If he was guarding you and you were were ninety feet from the basket, 
You didn't even try to dribble. You just passed it to the other guy. Really? You know, I was watching. I was watching the Bulls play once, and and he's guarding. He's guarding John Paxson. So Paxson grabs the ball, gets the inbound, turns around, Muggsy's there, and this is John Paxson who takes. He never backs down from a challenge. Whoop! Kicks it to Scotty Pippen, and then Scotty brings it down. Next time Paxson gets it, sees Muggsy, throws it to Scotty. Scotty, he runs over to Scotty. Scotty throws it back to Paxson, and then he dribbles it up. Wow. Then Michael Jordan gets it. 90 feet from the basket, you know, after a main basket. Michael Jordan gets it. No, 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 sorry. B.J. Armstrong gets it because he comes in for Paxson. And I think, okay, B.J.'s a rookie. He's going to take the challenge on. No, he kicks it over to Scotty. Really? And then, yeah. And so then the last one is Michael Jordan gets it. Muggsy's like – Michael Jordan's got it up like this. Muggsy's like, well, about his belly button, really. He's like right here. Michael's like, oh, no, hell no. He throws it. <laughs> the scouting report was, if Muggsy's guarding you 90 feet from the basket, don't even bother. Ooh, that's that's, that's a, how crazy defender. Wow. Crazy defender. I mean, he's five foot three. went in the first round in the NBA draft. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just. He had like a 14-year career at five foot three. That will never happen again. No, I'm no. telling you right now, that'll never happen. We will never see a five foot three guy in the NBA again. Man, that's that's I definitely did not expect that name. Wow. And I'm just thinking about the team that he was on, like uh, you know, that Muggsy, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Morning, Dell Curry team. Man, I'm this like I'm literally like reliving my childhood. I'm reliving when I used to collect basketball cards. This Netflix series is it's got me. It's got me so excited. It's got me so motivated. And I look at myself and I'm like, man, Jordan took every part of his his skill and his natural ability, times it by a thousand because of his because of his work ethic and got to where to where, where he was. And I think it's that's just inspirational to. It's inspirational to me. It should be imp- inspirational to kids watching it at home or anyone that's watching and going, man, you literally you put your mind to something like this is this is what can be done. This is, it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so well done. Like, you know, I, I know it went on and, you know, got a bit passionate there, but we are being privy to, to greatness. I mean, we'll be talking about this documentary. I mean, if there's a documentary that's better than this, I want to see it. Yeah, exactly. If there's a documentary that ever comes out and anybody ever compares it to this, I want to see it. Absolutely. Well, I know we're looking forward to episodes four and uh, sorry, five and six next week. Um, so we're only a week away from that. I, I, I know I'm going to be filling my time watching YouTube videos of, and, you know, just to get reacquainted with all the teams that uh, were from the nineties. Cause it's, it's a, it's a great time to be watching basketball. But um, for those who are watching, listen, we really appreciate it and love, um, love you guys listening and tuning in. Obviously check out our Instagram handle at inside slam. There's a few more, bits of content going up up again this week. Uh, obviously, we have uh, Steve and I's game still on hold. So Steve's probably in self-isolation training uh, for our big one-on-one game. So that hopefully will be done in the uh, next eight weeks once we get out of the self-isolation. But guys, if you are at home, um, sorry, if you are, um, you know, just make sure you're staying safe. Make sure you are at home, um, you know, look out, looking after your loved ones. Um, this is a tough time for all of us, but we're going to get through it. And... Uh, Thank God we got the last dance to get us through it. I'll see you next week, Steve. 
All right. We'll see you. See you guys.